it's a pleasure to be here in the Air and Space Museum again, as I have been here many times, because as a pilot who goes back quite a few years, every time I come to the Air and Space Museum and see all of the hardware that's hanging <clears throat> in this building, it brings back memories of the things that you read about today, like Lilienthal and his gliders, the Wright brothers, General Doolittle, General Mitchell, guys like John Young, Bob Crippen, Dick Truly, Joe Engel, right on in to what you saw on the screen today that is taking place in space. Now, I was privileged to play a small part and my airplane hangs out there in the lobby, and it gives me a, a, a sort of a brotherly feeling every time I walk into this building and sort of glance up at it and see that it's still hanging there, all in one piece. The cable hadn't broken yet. <laughs> Let me give you a little feeling <clears throat> that most of us people in our younger days experienced, the same as, as Bob Crippen has been experiencing for the last 15 or 20 years and the last couple of years in the shuttle. And things that I experienced uh, some 38 to 40 years ago in airplanes like the X-1. In World War II, when we were fighter pilots, we experienced for the first time the effects of the sound barrier on our aircraft. And it, as Bob mentioned, it, and he, it's amusing how pilots use terminology uh, uh, I use the expression, in fact, the same that he uses in talking about the shuttle going faster than sound, somewhere around 38, 40,000 feet, and running into slight buffet as, as shock waves form on the airplane. It's just like riding over a country road that's not paved with potholes. And it, the airplane shakes and buffets, and I'm sure the shuttle, being so big and long, twangs a few times as it smokes through Mach 1. Well, we ran into that same problem in World War II, and we didn't know what was causing it because uh, shockwaves forming on airplanes was strange to us. We call it compressibility. It, was, it wasn't dangerous. It was just a nuisance when you were trying to track uh, an any enemy aircraft, trying to shoot him down when you were out to the max speed of your airplane, which was about 80% of the speed of sound. And because of the very thick wings that we flew in those days, uh, the airplane going through the air at about 80% of the speed of sound, that additional distance that air had to travel to go around that wing brought it up to supersonic speed in relationship to the skin. And at that point, a shock wave formed on the thickest part of the skin, and behind that shock wave, you had buffeting, which fed back in your control column and shook the whole airplane. Now, the X-1, as it hangs out there today, is exactly the same as it was on its last flight. And I made that last flight in 1950. And consequently, the one thing that came out of the whole X-1 program that I'll briefly share with you before I sat down is when we got the airplane <clears throat> out to about 94% of the speed of sound, we lost elevator effectiveness. Now, the reason was uh, I mentioned these shockwaves forming on the thickest part of the wings as we got the airplane up still under the speed of sound, but the air had to go around that wing, and that's when the shockwave formed at subsonic speed. Now, the same thing happened on that horizontal stabilizer back on the tail. 
the every tail on an airplane, and a lot of you boys and girls flown them and looked at them, every airplane has a tail on it, a horizontal stabilizer, and at the, at the trailer end of that horizontal stabilizer is an elevator, and that's how you get pitch control of the aircraft. Now, we lost the elevator effectiveness on the X-1 out at about 94% of the speed of sound, and the reason was that at the thickest point, the thickest part of the horizontal stabilizer or tailplane, that shockwave formed at about 88% of the speed of sound because it was a very, very thin airfoil. Now, as we increased our speed on out to 0.94, that shockwave moved back on the airfoil and laid down. And at 9.4 Mach number, or 6% under the speed of sound, the shockwave was at the hinge point of the elevator, and we lost our elevator effectiveness. Now, the one thing that was built into that little X-1 hanging out there in, in the room was the capability of changing the whole angle of incidence of the horizontal stabilizer. The way we did it was very simple. Now, you saw some pretty complex equipment in the shuttle, but that's technical. That's technology. And, and it's a technological advancement that have made things like the shuttle possible. And you can see them all over this building that started back with gliders. Now, that, that technology that was built into the X-1, we used compressed nitrogen gas to run two air motors at the top and bottom of a jack screw. And I could control those air motors with a solenoid switch up in the cockpit. And, I, and these air motors were the same as you see garages using to take lug nuts off of wheel. And the horizontal stabil stabilizer was tied into that jack screw. And when you turned that jack screw, it caused the horizontal stabilizer to either pitch up or pitch down. And we had never flown that horizontal stabilizer or moved it in flight on the previous seven or eight flights before we ran into trouble in losing the horizontal stabilizer or losing the elevator effectiveness on the airplane. So we went up and tried it out and it worked. It gave me the capability of controlling the airplane, although we had lost our elevator effectiveness. And that was the one big thing that came out of the whole X-1 program, other than finding out that you could fly an airplane faster than sound without it disintegrating. You gotta, you gotta go back 38 years. We knew nothing about the effects of flying an airplane in the region of the speed of sound or supersonic speed. But that's what you're trained to do, and just like Bob Crippen, Joe Engel, John Young, and the other astronauts who fly the shuttle today, they're trained astronauts. And I've had the privilege of watching Bob Crippen transition from being an outstanding naval aviator through the test pilot school and become one of the better astronauts. And it gives you a lot of pleasure to see people do things in a professional manner. Now. The X-1 hanging there in its room uh, opened up a new regime. And as I mentioned before, many, many people have added to that technology that goes into the vehicles hanging, hanging around here. Now, for the last year, I worked on the President's Space Commission. We came up with a master plan on what we, America, is going to do in space for the next 50 years. You saw the beginning on the screen. Many of you will be involved in the adventures that we've laid the groundwork for. It includes a colonization of the moon for mining. Uh, it means the moon can be used as a first stage in going into deep space. We'll develop space labs. There will be colonies 
on Mars and meteoroids. Uh, it's going to be an interesting job. And there will be a few of you sitting in this audience today that will participate in that adventure. Because America didn't become great uh, sitting on its hands. And I have been around a long time in the research business. I've seen many, many failures. And there's no doubt in my mind with guys like Bob Crippen and John Young and Joe Engel and Dick Truly and the other astronauts making their input and being aggressive in space, NASA will get back on track and will clean out the deadwood and press on. Because I've seen this happen many, many times before, and we always recover. I'm happy to see all of you attending the Academy of Achievement and all of our past honorees here, and I encourage you very much, as Spence said, hey, if you have a question to ask them, walk up to them. They're people just like your dad and mom are except not quite as mean. So, <laughs> so, and uh, the only advice that I usually give when someone comes up and talks to me is say, amen, enjoy what you do. Because a person who is happy in his job is usually quite good at it. And don't narrow your scope down too narrow to let a lot of good opportunities go by you, latch on to them. And good luck. Thank you very much.